0: Hey, I'm glad you're here. Good to see you today. My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're in a series together called For the Life of the World that we started last Sunday. And we're looking at this uh, big question of what is our salvation actually for, right? Uh, we know that God has saved us and redeemed us and called us to himself, and he's, he's making us like Jesus, and he's called us, he saved us from his wrath, but what has he saved us for. I mean, in the interim, before we're with him forever, what is our salvation for? And if you've put your faith in Jesus, you've been saved from his wrath, but you've been sent to bring life to the world. Uh, As we like to say it here, you're sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with you. How are you doing at that? That's what your salvation is for. It's for the life of the world. And uh, last week we explored this truth that we're living in a place that is not our home. It's a place of exile. We're exiles in this place. We're, we're people who live away from our native home. Do you know that? Peter picks up on this truth in 1 Peter. Uh, he calls us exiles. Paul picks up on this truth where he says that your citizenship is not on this earth, but it's in heaven. This isn't home. But at the same time, God gives instructions to us as exiles for how to live our lives, doesn't he? Even though this isn't our eternal home, it's our home for now. And so uh, we see God actually give instructions to some of his people in the Old Testament on how to live as exiles in a land that is not their native land. A place that that we're told God actually sent them to. And and we looked at this passage last Sunday from Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. See, we're sent to love people, right? Uh, Here's what he tells them to do in Babylon. He says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. God says, as you're in exile, set up camp while you're there. Live your life. Enjoy your life. And multiply in number as my people. That's an instruction, I think, for us in terms of our families and in terms of our church family, isn't it? That, that we're not to decrease in number, God has sent us to increase, to see more and more people coming to know Jesus Christ, more and more people worshiping him with us and in our community and in our, in our state and in our nation and in our world, amen? And so by God's grace, uh, I hope you're praying this, I'm praying that the Lord would bring growth to our church, not just people coming in, but people meeting Jesus. That's my heart, so I hope that's your heart too, and uh, that God would continue to do that because we're called to multiply here. And then look what he says in verse seven. He says, and while you're there, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. I wonder, where has God sent you into exile? Wallace, Milford, Syracuse, Warsaw, New Paris, Elkhart. Where has he sent you? Where do you work? Do you work at Zimmer? Do you work at Supreme? Do you work at a factory? Do you work in an office? Do you... Where's he sent you? He sent you there to to bless the place you've been sent and to live as his people there. And look what he says, because uh, you should pray to the Lord too on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. We're sent, we're sent as exiles. Our salvation is for the life of the world. And so we concluded that last Sunday. And today we're gonna see that this starts at home our being sent into the world as exiles to bless the world starts at home. It starts personally. Um, we're gonna see that God's design for the family is to be a gift that we offer back to God for the life of the world. Let's say that again. God's designed for the family, both your family at home and your church family. So this doesn't matter if, if you're single or you're widowed or whatever the case is for you. You have a family, right? You may have a biological family that you're around all the time, but your first family here is your spiritual family. You have a family and God's purpose for the family is to bring, be a blessing and bring life to the world. Let's pray and then we're gonna unpack that today from the life of a guy named Abraham. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him and uh, thanks for your goodness uh, in uh, in redeeming us and saving us, but also in your plan to send us as your people, as your representatives in this world. Help us see that truth today, Lord, not just um, out and about in the world, but at home. At home in our families, at home in our church family, at home in our 110 groups, um, that, that you've sent us to be a blessing, but it really starts at home. Your plan is to bless and redeem the world through family. So, uh, Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that uh, uh, you would teach me even as I teach. I pray that my words would be an encouragement and they would be your words. I pray against the enemy who might uh, take a topic like this and discourage those uh, who maybe are single or who haven't been able to have a family in the sense that they understand family. Uh, But encourage their hearts, I pray, to to know that this is a, a much bigger thing than just our personal families, but it's... It's our our church family. It's who we are as your people. So teach us that, I pray today, Lord, and encourage our hearts and let us go live for the life of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I just said, God's design for the family is to be a gift that we offer back to him for the life of the world. We're sent as individual exiles, but we're also sent as families of exile. Uh, as I mentioned, this includes your biological family, your 110 community group, your church family, um, and we're sent to love people in exile and invite them to follow Jesus with us as families. Do you realize that, that God's plan from the very beginning uh, was to bless and redeem the entire world? All of it began with a family. I mean, first to begin with Adam and Eve, but I wanna fast forward a little further even to a guy by the name of Abraham and his family. At this point, he's still known as Abram, but turn with me to Genesis 12, and we're gonna see that God blesses and redeems the whole world through a family, through a family. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis, if you're not familiar with your Bible, Genesis is right towards the beginning, and uh, if you turn there, find the big number 12, and I'm gonna start right there. Now, the Lord said to Abram, at this point, his name was still Abram, which means um, uh, exalted father, but God's gonna change his name later to father of a multitude. At this point, though, Abram has no children. And uh, he's actually, we're gonna find out in verse four, he's 75 years old when God comes to him. I would have you raise your hand if you're 75 or older, but I won't do that. You know who you are. Uh, Now, the Lord said to Abram, So Abram went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with them. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. It's incredible to me. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Did you notice that right away? Again, if you're you're, uh, concerned about the definition of family here, right away it says that Abram took all the people that, that he had acquired with him. It wasn't just his biological family, right? It was all those who were part of his people. And that's who God sends as family. But from the very beginning, God's plan is to bless and redeem the world through a family. And I wanna look at this promise. I wanna camp out here for a while with you in this promise to Abram, to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. What you're seeing here is the first uh, instance of God making a covenant with Abraham. And it's repeated three times in Genesis, in Genesis 12, in Genesis 15, and in Genesis 17. And God makes this promise and uh, he, he's promising him a handful of things. The, the first thing I want you to see about this promise is that it's multifaceted. There's, there's many sides to this promise and we can see them right here in the text, right? The, the first thing you see about his promise is that it's a promise for a great land, Uh, God calls Abram while he's 75 years old, uh, this guy whose name means exalted father, and yet he's 75, still has no kids. And he says, Abram, I want you to get up, pack up and go to a land that I will show you. Now, this is incredible to me for just, I just wanna stop here for a second. We're gonna come back to this. But at 75, Abram is called and God doesn't tell him all the details. (laughs) Do you notice that? How many of you would have been like, um, yeah, I could do that, but where are we going? Just, just pack up, gather everybody up. Come on, go. I, I will show you. I'll show you. That's incredible, isn't it? That call. But he calls him to a land. And this land in Genesis 15 when this promise is uh, reiterated, uh, the the, the boundaries of this land are spelled out in more detail when God actually ratifies his covenant with Abram. And uh, the the land is modern day Israel, but it's actually much bigger in my opinion looking at the text than current modern day Israel. And this promise is at the heart of of all of uh, the fighting you see in the Middle East today. Did you know that? It all stems back to God's promise here to Abram to to give him a land, a great land. And there's argument over, basically when Abram ends up having sons, he has two. One that he uh, conceives with his his wife's maidservant, Hagar. His name is Ishmael. That is what they name him, God hears. And Abram just uh, really foolishly doesn't believe what God told him and for a moment tries to take things in his own hand, he and Sarah do. And he has a son named Ishmael who God blesses. Well, in that conflict in the Middle East today between uh, Arabs and Muslims and and, uh, Judeo-Christian religions, uh, it's this conflict over who did that promise go to. Did it go through Abram's son, Ishmael, or through his son, Isaac, as the Bible teaches? And so this promise is still, people are still fighting over it today, more proof that it's an eternal, everlasting promise. But all that to say, God God promises Abram a great land. The next thing that we see that he promises him, if we keep reading, he says, I will make of you a great nation. He's going to make him a great nation. Now, what does that mean? Well, some translations, some modern translations might even say, I will give you many descendants I will make of you a great family. I'll make you a great nation. Now think about that again. How old is Abram? 75. How many kids does he have so far? None, and what's God promising him? To make him into a great nation of people. Wonder what's going through his mind. What do you think is going through his head at this point? But, but God makes this promise. This is another facet of his promise to Abram. He's going he's gonna to take him and his wife Sarai, their, their family of two, and he's going to make that family multiply into a great nation one day. In Genesis 15, again, when this promise is repeated, uh, God tells Abram that I I am gonna make you into a great nation. He takes him outside, says, look at the stars in the sky. Uh, Maybe this is in 17, but I think it's in 15. He says, look at the stars in the sky. uh, As as many as you can count, um, that's how many descendants I'm gonna give you. And that's like 10 to 15 years after this. So at that time, he's 90 and he still has no sons. (laughs) God says, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. And he says, what's gonna happen is uh, your people are are going to be taken into exile into a foreign land. Uh, For 400 years, they're gonna be persecuted and then I'll bring them out with great possessions. Uh, God's predicting to him that all of Abram's descendants are gonna end up in Egypt. And in Egypt, they're gonna multiply like crazy into a great nation from a family. But here's the third piece of the promise that I wanna zero in on this morning. Notice the third promise: a great land, a great nation, and a great name. He says, "I will bless you and make your name great. I'll make your name great." How many people in our world today, maybe even in our in the room together here, uh, we strive over and over to make our name great? And God tells Abram, "No, I'm going to be the one to make your name great." And by the way, here is why: it's not for your glory; it's so that you will be a blessing. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'm giving you this great land. I'm giving you, I'm turning uh, all of your family into a great nation. Why? Am I going to make your name great so that through you, Abram, and through your family, I'm going to bless the entire world. Keep reading. Look what it says. It says, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now that's a Hebrew word for all right there. And guess what it means? All. (laughs) All. All the families of the world will be blessed through you. That means everyone in this room, in some way, shape, or form, we've been blessed because of God's blessing to Abraham and his family. God's plan to bless and redeem the world, loved ones, starts uh, with a family. Now, uh, the other thing I want you to look about and we've kind of talked about this already, but check out this promise that God makes to Abram. Would you agree that God's promise to Abraham was difficult? Or certainly, maybe the promise wasn't difficult, but his obedience to that call was certainly difficult, wasn't it? Look at the text here with me. Uh, look, look at what God calls him to do. He says, um, He says, "Go from your country." Go from your country. Go to a place you've never been, Abram. Go away from everything that's familiar to you. Now, a lot of times we think of those calls coming to people who are young, right? Because travel and moving across the world or or doing anything like this, taking a big risk, that's a young man's game, would you agree? Except, again, God makes this promise to Abram, who's 75. He says, go from your country. That would be hard for any of us, but especially... As we get older, it gets harder, doesn't it? As you start to have roots put down in different places and then suddenly God says, no, get up, go to a place. And look at what else he says. He says, take your kindred or leave from your kindred. Leave from all the people, you know, all your friends, all your family and your father's house. Leave. He's saying, leave everything you know and follow me. And look where he calls him to go. Would you would you agree this would be really difficult to obey? He says, "And go to the land." We talked about this a little bit already. That I will show you. Do you I don't know about you, but I like to have detail, <laughs> at least a little bit. You know, um, you know. Over the next next couple of years, we're going to try to do this, this, this. Well, no, no, no. Just step out, follow me, and then you're going to find out. Can you? I mean. Can you imagine? How many of you, if your spouse said, uh, hey, honey, pack everything up. Uh, we're going to move, and uh, we're moving next week. What would be the first question? Either where or why or what is wrong with you, right? It's, it's, it could be a handful of different questions depending on, on your family and, and who you're married to, but, but some of those would come out, right? Well, where, where, okay, where, okay, I love you. I trust you. Where are we, where are we moving to? You know, I'm not sure. What? That's when what, what's wrong with you would come out, right? And and why are we moving? Well, uh, uh, it's just that's what that's what uh, God actually appeared to me and told us that's what we should do. Um, okay. And and again, where are we going? I I don't know. God said He would show me. What would you do? Is that an incredible, incredibly hard promise to obey and to believe? Especially if. You're advanced in years. He says, go to the place that I will show you. And then again, notice just again, the fact of Abram's age. He was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. You know, I told you this promise, every time I read this, it just makes me think about my own life. Like what does God have in store for me? I hope when I'm 75, I'm like Abram. And I'm willing to take a step of faith into something I may not understand, uh, going to a place I may not even want to go because that's what God's calling me to do. Because I I just, I believe that God has purpose for my life and that as long as I'm breathing uh, and I'm alive, he's got purpose for me. And I, I pray that my heart, you can pray this for me, that my heart never gets bitter and frustrated and, and, and just to the point where I shut down and say, you know what, I'm, I'm done. You know, the truth is even at almost 40, there's been times in my life where I felt that. Have you ever felt that? Where you, where you hit the wall and you're just like, why am I doing this? <laughs> I, don't, I don't wanna follow anymore, I'm done. And that, those are the times where it's a gut check to say, no, 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 no. Um, I gotta keep my heart fresh because it's a long vision for my family and for our church and for the life of the world. And I don't wanna miss out on what God may want to do with me for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years because I got bitter at age 40, amen? I love that promise and Abram's obedience at at an old age. And then uh, notice another thing about this call to Abram. God's call for Abraham was also for his family. Uh, look, at, look at verses four and five here. So, so Abram went, he, he actually obeyed, that's incredible. And as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him, his nephew went along with him and all of his household. And uh, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran and Abram took Sarai, his wife, So his wife comes along and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. This was a promise that wasn't just about this one man. Yeah, his obedience was really important, but but it was a whole family of people that were going to go and that God was going to use. It wasn't just Abraham, was it? he was going to be dependent on all these other people and they were all going to be dependent on him. And as a family, God calls them then. And as a family, they obey as his people and uh, loved ones. That's, that's kind of the point of the morning is that, that God's plan to bless and redeem the world is through a family. And we see it in this first family in Abraham and his family. Now uh, what's What's also important to see here is that God blesses and redeems the world through, through family, but he does it through his love and faithfulness. God's love and faithfulness to Abraham and his family is the way in which God is going to bless the world. His love and his faithfulness. Think about that. How did, how did God love Abraham? Well, first he reached out to him to call him to himself, right? Of of all the peoples in the world at that time, God said to Abram, hey, I love you. And I'm gonna make of you a great nation. I'm gonna bless all the peoples, all the families of the earth through you, Abram. He, He loved him. God didn't have to do that. There had been, if you even in those first eleven chapters of Genesis, there had been so much sin and so much corruption and so many things that were messed up. God, at any point, could have just said, "Okay, that's it. I'm done. We're shutting it down." But instead, no. He chooses to continue working, and he chooses to keep that promise that he made back in the garden to to Adam and Eve to fix everything in Genesis three fifteen. He he chooses to keep that promise, and he's going to do it through this family of Abraham. That's his love. And it's also his faithfulness. God is the one who's going to do it. Yeah, there's 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 faithfulness required on Abraham's part, right? There there totally is. Don't don't miss that. Uh, God needs him to be faithful, but God doesn't need him to be faithful. I just contradicted myself there, didn't I? Did you catch that? God needs him to be faithful, but God doesn't need him to be faithful. God is the one who's going to keep the promise. In fact, when, when in Genesis 15, when God uh, makes the covenant with Abraham for this promise, he tells Abraham to go get some animals and slice them down the middle, and he, he cuts them down the middle, head to toe, flays them out on the ground, and then uh, Abraham shoots the birds away as they fly in, and then that night God shows up and, and it says that God passes through these animals. Well, that was a a covenant in that day. God was communicating to him in a way that he would have understood in his culture. When you made a covenant with somebody, you would gather all of your friends on this side, and they would gather all their friends on this side, and you'd take some animals, slice them open, and uh, the initiator of the covenant would walk through them and basically say, Hey, if I break my end of the bargain here on this covenant, let what happened to these animals happen to me. And then the second person would go through and say, hey, if I break my end, let what happened to these animals happen to me. Except in Genesis 15, guess who's the only one to go through the animals and say, hey, if I break this covenant, let what happened to these animals happen to me. God was the only one who did it. It's all dependent on his faithfulness. Now, Abram has a responsibility to be obedient, but, the, but for God to keep his promise is all on him. He's the only one who, who confirms the covenant, who... who signs the covenant in a sense. It's his love and faithfulness and, and God's plan to redeem the world through love and faithfulness is our blueprint, loved ones. It's our blueprint as families and as people. At 1 John 4 verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. You know, uh, living our lives as individuals and as families Um. God's called us to love and to be faithful, to love one another in our family. That means at home, uh, with your spouse, with your children, uh, making them a priority in your life. Your first ministry, if you've been blessed with a spouse and or children. It means that in your church family, you're called to love those who are part of your church family and care for them in your 110 group and in your broader church family and you're to do so faithfully, right? Just like God is faithful to us, we're to, be, to look at his example and be faithful to one another, both in our marriages and our homes and, and as a family, as a church family, to be faithfully gathering together, to be faithfully growing, to be faithfully going and serving, right? That's what God, his, his, blue, his, his actions are a blueprint for us of how to live our lives. And God blesses and redeems us then as a family to be a blessing to the whole world. To be a blessing to the whole world. Why why does God bless Abram and his family? Do you remember? Why does he make his name great? So that he would what? So that he would bless the families of the world. God blesses you, just like he blessed Abram, to be a blessing. He blesses you, he blesses me to be a blessing. That's the purpose of it. Say it again, he blesses you so that you would be a blessing to other people and that other people then would experience God's love and blessing in their own life. So how are you, how are you doing that? How are you doing that in your family? How are you doing that in your church family? How are you doing that at, at your workplace? How are you doing that uh, in your neighborhood? Are, are, are you allowing God's blessing to you to be a blessing to other people? See, here's what's interesting to me. I did a word study this week. On, in, in verse 3, uh, there's this word. It says, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Hebrew word there for families is, uh, I, think I, I think I put it maybe even in your insert. It says, it's mishpaha. I think I'm saying that right. It's the Hebrew word for Families. And uh, literally, it, just, it, it has with this idea, it's, it's much bigger than our English version of family. It carries with it the idea of like a clan or a whole group, an extended family. And not necessarily just blood relation, but anyone who's part of this greater household who together are family. Uh, literally, uh, according to, to one Hebrew lexicon, uh, a clan or circle of related people with strong ties. And in in Hebrew, uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time here just because uh, you don't speak Hebrew, I don't speak Hebrew, so in some sense, who cares? But in this case, it's important to recognize this, that this word, uh, in Hebrew, all the words have a root word of like three consonants. And the the root word here uh, for families is, uh, it's modified to be plural and and, and to refer to families, but is this word, uh, s p h if it was in English consonants. And do you know what that word means? It means to pour out or to spill. To just abundantly pour out then all over the place. You know, if you pour something out, you might think, oh, I can pour it out into a. But when I spill something, where does it go? Everywhere. And the, it's curious then that when you uh, add a couple things to this word and make it plural, that it means families. These groups of people who are connected together that pour out, that spill out. Well, I'm curious, what do they spill out? What do they pour out? Well, In Abram's case, it was God was blessing them. He was filling them with blessings so that they would spill out blessing. Have you noticed though, if, if I had a glass uh, full of water and you bumped it, what would spill out? It's not too hard. What would spill out if my glass was full of water? Water would, Why? Because it's full of water. Well, guess what? Uh, as, as an individual, as a family, uh, whether you realize it or not, you're continually outpouring, you're continually spilling something out of your life. And guess what that something is? Whatever you're full of. <laughs> it's true though, isn't it? If you're full of bitterness guess what you spill out to all the people around you? Bitterness. If you're full of love and grace, guess what you spill out both as an individual and as a family to all those around you? Love and grace. So there's a personal responsibility then to fill my life with good things and to think rightly and to fill my life with God's grace so that when I'm bumped, that's what spills out. And it's important then to do that in my family at home to pour in uh, grace and love and blessings so that when my family hits uh, something and bumps into other families or bumps into people, we spill out grace and love. And in my 110 group and in my church family, that when people walk in the door on a Sunday morning and they bump into us, what spills out? <laughs> Hopefully love and grace. And that phrase, you are loved. F- a Family, by definition, uh, according to this Hebrew word, is Is spilling out. It's pouring out. Your biological family, your church families, what are you spilling out? See, Abram, in this case, he had been filled with God's blessing and the reason was so that he would spill out blessing to the world, to the families, to all the families of the world. Which kind of leads to my last point here that uh, god 's promise to bless and redeem the world, loved ones. It begins in a family, but it 's a generational promise. it 's generational in nature. it 's not just a prob- uh, excuse me, just a promise to abraham it 's a promise to all the families in the world after him it 's generational. Now, if you know the story of Abraham, he, he ends up being hundred years old before he finally has a son. In Isaac, with his wife Sarai. And then when Isaac is probably around the age of 12 or 13, God asks him to sacrifice his son Isaac on an altar. And he gets right up to that moment pulling out the knife and says the angel of the Lord, who I believe is Jesus, calls out to him and says, Abram, Abram, stop. And he stops and he says, here I am, Lord. He says, now I know that you're obedient to me and I'm gonna... Keep my covenant with you. I'm gonna bless the world through you. He does that at an old age. And and, you know, not long after that, Abram ends up dying. Abraham dies. And remember, it was a multifaceted promise to him, wasn't it? It was for a great land, a great nation, and a great name. Guess how many of those things Abraham saw come to pass in his lifetime Exactly zero. Other than you could maybe make the argument for blessing. But isn't that curious? He obeyed God anyway. And he thought long-term, he said, you know what? I, I, I want my life to outlive me. I'm gonna obey God because I know his promise is not just for me, but for those who are coming after me, both in my biological family and in my spiritual family. And so my obedience today isn't just about me and what I want and what I desire, but it's what does God want to do through me, after me. See, it was a generational promise. And in order for Abram to believe God and to really obey him, he had to look at it with the long view, with an eternal lens. Because God's plan for blessing is generational. Which means, you know what that means? It means everything is an investment. All of your life is investment. Do you know that? Why don't you just say that with me? All is investment. Let's say that. Do you know what an investment is? It's when I put something away for a time, or I, or I or I give uh, some of my effort, some of my money, some of my resources, some of my talent, because I know when I spend it here, uh, it's not just spent and, and done, but it, it's going to grow into something more. Long term, that's an investment, and, and God's plan uh, for blessing is generational. Everything is an investment. Abraham was in it for the long game. It wasn't about him; it was about God's plan. But, but Abraham still clearly knew he had a part to play, right? He, he does that with Isaac uh, at the moment of, of almost up to the point of sacrificing him. The incredible multitude of descendants that God promised to him would ultimately be shaped by Abraham's own obedience and faithfulness. Generation upon generation upon generation upon generation was dependent on his faithfulness. If Abraham isn't faithful, trusting God for the future, he would shipwreck generations to come, both biologically in his family and spiritually in his church family. Tens upon hundreds upon thousands upon millions upon billions of people have been blessed because of his faithfulness. His small choices of obedience affected billions and billions of people over thousands and thousands of years. Do you ever stop... And wonder, what are my choices today affecting thousands of years from today? In the lives of my biological family and in the lives of my spiritual church family. What are the decisions I'm making or the attitudes that I'm spilling out to other people? What influence are those making for generations to come? Because God's promise to blessing is a generational one and everything is an investment. You know, it's funny to me then, uh, some of the things that that we can get worked up about in our church, and I say our church, I mean in the church, right? And uh, I don't know of any fights like over the color of carpet here. To my knowledge, I've been here about half the life of the church, 15 out of the 30 years I've been here. Um, I don't know of any fights over the color of carpet, but I know of other churches that have actually split because of an argument over colors of carpet. Don't you wonder? I wonder if we'll have regret in eternity. And you know, if we do, I'll bet it's over stuff like that. Where we look back and we go, um, man, if I hadn't just been so selfish there, I wonder what God could have done through a church that was united instead of divided. Um. I just wonder if we'll regret some of those selfish decisions. Because all is investment. And if it's a good investment, it pays a good reward. And if it's a poor investment, it's lost. Jesus says if uh, anyone who would leave his father and mother and follow me would receive a hundredfold in return. Jesus understood the principle of investment, didn't he? You ever taken Financial Peace University? I think here's a good illustration of what this looks like. You ever taken this class? How many of you have taken Financial Peace? You've probably seen this chart. Dave Ramsey teaches this and he talks about investing in terms of finances, but I think there's some truth here that carries over to us spiritually and in our families and in our church and then in our community. Did you know that if uh, at age 19 you start investing $2,000 a year uh, for uh, eight years, and then never invest a dollar again. But that investment, uh, and he, he gives a pretty high rate of return, but it still works for the illustration, like a 12% return, which is, is, can be tricky to get. Maybe not right now, but it can be tricky to get. That after, when he turned 65, he only invested $8,000 total. That If he gets that return every year, he'll have $2.2 2 million in the bank. And then if his friend, Arthur, instead of investing from age 19 to 26, $2,000 a year, starts when he's age 27 and invests $2,000 a year every year until he's 65. So he will have invested a total of, um, of, of, of approximately $70,000, $80,000. He'll have $1.5 million in the bank, and he will never catch Ben. That's the power of, like, of compound interest and return on investment, right? G- Jesus says, if you would invest your life in things that are eternal and in me and look at things with the long-term eternally, listen, you're gonna get it all back a hundredfold and you will never regret investing it back then when you did. It's just the, the power of the way that multiplies. I wonder then, if all is investment, what family legacy, I wanna leave you with this truth and a story here as we close. What family legacy are you leaving in your life, in your biological family and in your church family? What's the legacy you're leaving? I wanna tell you, I'm so thankful for some of the generational families in our church and the generational blessing that's taken place. I look around and see a number of families where there's there's multiple generations of family in our church. Multiple generations of people who've been faithful. Isn't that a great thing? It's a unique thing. Um, But it can be a dangerous thing if we're not thinking long-term. And here's why. I was talking to a friend of mine last week, and at their church, it's a church they had grown up in. Uh, Over the last year, they had had gone through um, a handful of of things as they look towards uh, some new direction for the future of their church. And, um, you know, this person told me, they just said, you know, I, I've grown up in this church my entire life, and I, I see all these families that I admire and that I want to be like one day. My entire life, I've always looked up to them, wanting to be like them. And uh, they told me there was, a, there was a, a congregational meeting about some of these directions, and Um, a couple people that they had looked up to spoke up and they said some things that were um, really pretty heartbreaking to them. And well, no, they they just didn't wanna go that way and that was a a poor decision and they spoke in in ways that were uh, derogatory towards some of the leadership and uh, just with a very selfish, clearly a very selfish heart. And as I was talking to my friend, they said, You know, three weeks ago, I wanted my life to be like theirs. And today I hope, by God's grace, I never become like them. Isn't that sad? Because suddenly their eyes turned from the long-term to the near-term and themselves and their own preferences. And if they'd have stayed long-term, I wonder what kind of blessing could happen. So that's an important truth, I think, for all of us, no matter our age, whether we're young and we're beginning our race or we're old and we're towards the end, finish well, amen? Amen. Don't shipwreck your faith or your families or your church and its ministry, but think long-term beyond yourself because God's promise to bless the world and bring life to the world is generational in nature. And Jesus may return in this generation, but he may not for generations to come. And who knows how your faithfulness and my faithfulness and our faithfulness today might usher more and more people into God's kingdom on that day. So let's be faithful, amen? Let's love as families, as individual families, and as a church family, knowing that our salvation is for the life of the world. Now, if you're part of a 110 group, there's some videos that accompany and build off some of the messages that we're teaching over these next seven weeks. So I encourage you in your 110 to watch those. They're about 20 minutes long. If you're not in a 110 group, if uh, you still wanna, I still encourage you to watch these videos. If you open up your bulletin on the 110 community group homework, you'll find a website and a link, or a password, excuse me, wabaseebible.com backslash flow for the life of the world. And there's two videos on there right now for two weeks. And uh, just put in the password Wawasee on the video, and you can watch that on your own time anytime you'd like. And uh, everything we're teaching on Sunday morning uh, interlinks with what's being taught in those messages on, on video. And um, yeah, let me pray. Father, uh, thanks for your grace to us in Jesus. Lord, thank you that you made a promise to Abraham that's an eternal promise. In uh, Genesis 17, verse seven, you say that this, this covenant you're making with him is eternal for, for all generations to come. Thank you that you look at things in the long term. Help us to do the same, to look at things with an eternal perspective, not just temporal, so that we would recognize our lives and our families and our church as all investment, whether we invest words of encouragement and of faith and or at the same time, if we invest words of uh, discouragement and bitterness and criticism, Lord, all of those things are going to pay uh, a reward, good or bad, one day. So let our, let our lives be directed towards the long term that we would all think generationally in this land of exile that you've sent us to, so that we would seek its good and the good of our families and of our church for the life of the world for the long haul. Keep our eyes off ourself and Jesus on you. And might you bless the world even through this small church family here in the middle of the cornfields. And I pray this in Jesus' name, in your strong name, Jesus, because you can do it. Amen.